Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, it is a good morning to be at church. Amen. It's going to happen. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> Somebody, there we are. Yeah. I know you're just tired from having to walk in from uh, Fred Meyer, but I'm so thankful that you did. And uh, man, uh, even though the parking lot's getting all torn up and all that stuff is going on, aren't you thankful that uh, by God's grace, we have to make some dust to make some room? It's a pretty exciting thing. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in this book for a little while, and uh, as we were Preparing this last week, I was just thinking about different ways to introduce. Um, th- th- this introduction is actually profound, not mine, the Lord's introduction of uh, his own book here. But um, I was thinking about how do you get ready for a book like the book of Hebrews? And I was thinking about a, a trip that Christina and I had recently taken. And I was listening to people discuss their desire to go on a vacation or a trip. I don't know if you know this, but there are multiple ways to begin the adventure. Do you know that? Some people, I literally heard of an individual that had planned for four years to go on a one-week vacation, all right? You need a vacation from your planning. As you do, planning and planning and planning, planning. I heard of another guy. There's a a pastor and theologian, well-known Uh, who literally would just uh, grab a couple of students that didn't have anywhere to go on vacation, and he would bring, all they would bring was uh, some clothes and a quarter. And as they came to major intersections or freeways, they would flip the coin to find out where they were headed. Yeah, one time they ended up in Florida, another time they ended up in California, and then they made sure that uh, they had a two-headed coin so they never ended up in California again. Some people are spontaneous. Some people like planning their trips. Some people like having the trip planned by others. But here's the the fact of the matter. This morning, it doesn't matter what personality you are. If you are a planner, this is my encouragement to you. Get the book. Start reading it. Plan some landing places where you have some questions, places where you need uh, more information. Participate with others as you study the book. If you're just spontaneous... Join us this morning and enjoy the ride. If you'd like somebody else to plan the trip, we'll do our best to give you some uh, major pointers as we look out of the plane, but we're not going to be down in the weeds. We're going to be at the 30,000 foot level as we walk through this book in uh, under a year. Uh, But we are asking you to join us as we embark on this trip, this journey through the book of Hebrews that I believe is of incredible importance today. Not just written to a group of people who needed some encouragement back then. A group of folks who, because of challenges that they were facing, almost let go of their faith. It's written to you and I to be able to drink in these truths and see that application in our life as well. Last week was an overview. This year we're look, or this week we're looking at the actual introduction in Hebrews chapter one. We're going to be looking at just verses one through four. We'll take larger bites later, but we're just getting a taste. All right, so let's stand. And read the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. And the scripture says this. Long ago, 
God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made him, made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do you believe that's true? Yes. Maybe seated. We're going to be looking at the introduction to Hebrews, just those first four verses. And in the introduction to Hebrews, the author invites us to a verbal banquet. Literally, if you begin to just pick out each of these words, you're going to be overwhelmed at how much is embedded in the statements that the author has chosen, that the Lord has given to us. It is a feast, though this morning we're going to look at just three truths from. A feast that includes three truths. And the first is the greatness of this introduction. Uh, there are a lot of books that have been written. In fact, as you uh, read different theologians and their discussion of the book of Hebrews, there are some that say outside of Genesis 1-1, there's no greater introduction to a book in all the rest of Scripture. Uh, in the uh, time in which it was written, it would have been considered among the most eloquent. As people look at the way that it not only speaks of Christ, but the economy of words it uses to bring you into deep conversation at every single point, introducing you to not only the main theme and uh, the person that it wants you to get to know, but also causing a craving in you to say, how is it so that all of these things are true? Great introductions uh, usually precede great books. Uh, there's a list of uh, books that people have said, hey, this is not only a great book, but uh, a great introduction to a book. It draws you into it. See if you know any of these authors. One book starts this way. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. How about this? Children's book. A rock pile ceases to be a rock pile the moment a single man contemplates it, bearing within him the image of a cathedral. Man, children's books can be deep, can't they? How about this one? It's a shocking one. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Uh, that's George Orwell, 1984, and uh, he's talking about the government making a decision to just add something to people's life that's unreasonable. You guys wouldn't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> in this next one, listen to just the cadence of it. Once upon a midnight dreary, as I pondered, weak and weary, over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Edgar Allan Poe, The Raven. Rod Dahl in Matilda, another deep theological work, says there's a funny thing about mothers and fathers, even when their own child is the most disgusting little blister you could ever imagine, <laughs> they still think that he or she is wonderful. 
And finally, Douglas Adams, you, you haven't probably read this book, uh, but it's been widely read. The Restaurant at the End of the Universe starts it this way. The story so far, in the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and is widely regarded as a bad move. <laughs> That's how he starts his book. Now, the beginning to the author of Hebrews contends the exact opposite. That in the beginning it was created and all the glory and the goodness of God is on display, his fingerprints in all of creation, and it's evident in Jesus Christ. A pretty profound introduction. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Little, tiny glimpses of truth. But now he has spoken to us the total truth in Jesus Christ. A good friend of ours of this church, Dr. Allen, introduced his message on Hebrews 1 with uh, these three paragraphs. And I just want you to hear how he introduced this topic. As he began to meditate on it, this is what poured out of him. He said, what Shakespeare is to playwrights, the Mississippi to rivers, and Westminster to cathedrals, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is to all of the New Testament. 72 words in the Greek text comprise a single sentence, and each word is pregnant with meaning and pulsates with deity. From high atop this theological Mount Everest, we are able to view God's grand sweep of salvation from creation to the consummation, and at the center of it all is Jesus. Speech is a vehicle of revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, God is a God who speaks. Ten times in Genesis 1, we are told, and God said... When God speaks, things happen. Exist light, and light existed. God spoke, and worlds leap into existence. God has spoken. In no other way could we know him. Though the universe declares the glory of God and bears witness to its power, it could never tell us of his love. Though history tells us of the sovereignty of God, it can never explain what Christ was doing on the cross. Though our conscience bears witness on the morality of God, it can never teach us how to live and love rightly. Unless God speaks, we would never know him or his love for us. To us, the universe, history, and conscience are all one great undecipherable hieroglyph until we discover God's Rosetta Stone, Jesus. Jesus is God spelling himself out in the language we can understand. Jesus is the speech of eternity translated into the language of time. Inaudible has become audible. Invisible has become visible. The unapproachable has become accessible. And he's revealed in this book. Profound, isn't it? The author of Hebrews gives us a great introduction, but there is something else that he gives us right here in these opening verses, and that is a grand staircase. Imagine for a moment that you are headed to uh, a location. You have been invited. You've gotten pieces of paper. You've heard an orchestra preparing. You've been invited to a great ballroom, and you have to go up a, a staircase to get to that location. Now, in the past, you've been able to see some of those people from the, the orchestra that are there. You've been able to see the singers as they would approach. You could hear from the distance as they were practicing the sound that would drift out the windows. But you've only ever heard in part. You've only ever caught a glimpse of what was going to happen. You've only ever gotten an invitation and known that it was available. But now you are on the approach, getting ready to go into that glorious place. 
This is what happens in the book of Hebrews where he says the prophets in the past had given you little tiny glimpses. There were just little pieces of reflective material where the prophet would hold up a mirror and say, do you see back here this little tiny glimpse of heaven, uh, an invitation given uh, in both the, the prophets and even in the early New Testament as Christ is talking about what would be fulfilled on the cross, just glimpses of that invitation until we run into Christ on the cross. And then the author of Hebrews takes us through a glorious staircase with, with three different stop, or seven different stops along the way, walking up to this face-to-face moment where we see Christ. He uses this kind of language. He says that um, in these last days, he has spoken to us finally, definitively by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. See these first two things. He is the heir of all things. That means every single thing that you see in all of creation, first of all, is not in its final form, but it is all his. Everything good that has been created, everything that is about to be renewed, he is the recipient of all the good. And he made the universe. It says that God made the universe through him. It says it here multiple places in, in scripture. But there's an interesting thing about that word universe that's right here or world in some of your translations that through him, you, he made the world. And yes, God did make the world through Jesus Christ. But the word, word that is used there is aeons. It's literally the ages. Every single age that we have in all of history is a moment or a season where God reveals something new about himself. Here is the idea. At the very beginning, he created everything that is about to happen. He knows what is going to stretch out into eternity. And every single age, he's going to reveal some new beautiful part of his character, something new about his love for us, something new that he is inviting us into. And he created all of that potential and all of that plan in advance. And Jesus is the one who sets that plan in motion. He sets it in motion so that you would be able to hear and see all of who he is. He's the heir of all things. He made the universe, but Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. It's like looking at God in a mirror. Now, I don't know if you know this. Uh, Some people would say, well, that reflected glory uh, somehow would be lessening to Christ. But if you've ever seen something in a mirror, have you ever looked at the sun in a mirror? Just You'll try it once, all right? Then we'll be helping you around. The full radiance of his glory. It means literally everything that it means to be God and the glory that is just radiating from him. Jesus is that radiance. All the glory. If you want a real mind bender about what it means, uh, it also has the idea of Wisdom at the very creation of the earth is imprinted into every single aspect of creation and all of life, little fingerprints and glory trails that point back to the living God. Proverbs chapter eight, verses 22 through 31. Just meditate on that for a little while, but make sure you have time for a nap. It'll blow your mind. He is the radiance of God's glory, but it doesn't stop there. He's the exact representation of his nature. The idea that is used here is of a die stamp. You've heard this before. 
a, a perfect image that is put onto the end of, say, a metal tool that's going to be on leather or of something that would sculpt clay, and they would press that image into it. And then anything else, if you put wax into that image, you pull it out, it's the exact imprint that is on the die stamp. If you take God and stamp him into human form, the picture that would be left behind would be Jesus. But it's not just talking about his physical form. It is actually talking about his divine nature. When you look throughout the Old Testament and you see a God that is compassionate and desires to extend grace to all of his people, but also is punishing to sin to the uh, 10th generation, when you see the nature of God on display in every single aspect in the Old Testament, when you see God at work, that nature, that attitude, that voice, you see in Jesus. He is the exact representation. Everything that God does, Jesus does. His activities are God's activities. He doesn't do anything that God wouldn't do. Exact expression of his nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Now, some people get hung up on this. They really believe, honestly, that there's some natural explanation for everything that you see around us. At some point, that reduction becomes unsustainable. One author, uh, Tim Keller, in fact, uh, was impacted by a teacher in his younger days who expressed it this way. If the distance from the sun, 92 miles, is one sheet of paper, uh, then the distance from our earth to the nearest star would be a, a stack of papers 70 feet tall. If you were just going to try to span our galaxy, one of the smallest, puniest galaxies in all of the universe, you would need a stack of paper 310 miles high using that same scale. 310 miles. Distance from us to the sun, one sheet of paper. From here to the nearest star, 70 feet tall. From here across our universe, we're just one little moat, somebody has said. One little um, piece of dust in all of the universe. And at some place, stretching all of those things out, holding everything together is Jesus Christ. If you understand what it means to have that kind of person in control of the universe, this is not the kind of individual that you invite to your house to be your assistant. He should run your life. It's not somebody that you just have ride shotgun. We talked about that even last week. He sustains all things by his powerful word, and this is the Christ that gave his life for you. It says also these last two things. He made purification of sins. In fact, the changing of the word order is really important. The emphasis in the sentence lands here. That what he did is not just that he is, because he is eternal every single day, up there making sacrifices for you and I. But the construction of this sentence ultimately means that where you and I have a sin problem, Jesus finally, in a definitive moment, erased the sin problem, and if we put our faith in him, it is done. He completed it, it is finished. There is no longer any need for you to be concerned, amen? Yeah, we should challenge that. We should be excited. He's not continually making sacrifices. He's not in need rushing around saying, oh no, one's gonna slip through. Like that little sinner, he got out. He's not saying that. By the way, this last week, when you got tempted and you battled and your flesh was weak and you failed, 
Jesus paid it all. You can sit here with brothers and sisters in Christ who have just the same temptations and battles and brokenness. The issue isn't whether or not they are paid for. The issue is whether we will settle down and be at home with that truth. It's done. He made purification for sin one time, final, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sits down that definitively in that language and in that culture means I'm done with the work. I'm sitting down to enjoy the fruit. He sat down in a place that he deserves to be, the right hand of God. In your mind, don't imagine Uh, a throne and some lesser gods around the foot of God the Father. Imagine a holy couch, all right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equally God, doing different roles. But he sat down in his rightful place, proving that this was the only course that could answer our sin. This is a grand staircase. And point by point, he brings us up to a place where he says, with all of this glorious speech, interacting with the God of the universe and all of the things that he is, he did all of this so that he could see you face to face. So that you would have a walk with him, not just today, but for eternity. He gives us a grand staircase, but the final thing that he lands on is a glorious gospel. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. He puts a transition sentence in here that invites us into the rest of the book. But this is the point that I want to make sure you do not miss. He starts at the beginning saying, At the beginning of time, God spoke to us in little pieces and little tidbits. He he spoon-fed us truth so that we would lean in and begin to listen. But he's spoken to us now finally in his son. And when he says that he spoke to you, the intention is that you would listen. The whole rest of the book is set up around this idea of listen to him. Listen to him. To Jesus, he is worthy, he is capable, and he is the only one that can see you safely home. There was a pastor a short while ago that sent me a clip, uh, and it impacted me for multiple reasons. But this morning, I just want you to hear the importance of staying focused on Jesus. Listen to this pastor as he shares. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. A pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front, I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up, and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out, 
I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're gonna. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently and we start climbing and it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing and we flew probably three, four minutes and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage emergency for you. An Anchorage emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned and he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm just my voice he said if you start watching the storm you will die but i'll take you through it now because they cleared all the traffic several pilots those nighttime freighters those 747 started talking to us they said we're praying for you men you're gonna make it but listen to the voice that's the key. 
They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. The knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there, he said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're gonna stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. That's a gripping story and it helps us sum up this very first week. The grand staircase that we had an opportunity to reflect on right there is not just so that you would have some theological depth, not just so that you would grow a little richer in the vocabulary that you have, but so that you would begin to tune your heart to listen to Jesus Christ. Right now we have an opportunity. Uh, it says, after making a purification for sins that he sat down. And this right here is a remembrance of that moment the act that Jesus did that had finality in it. He finished his work at that moment. But we're called to reflect and to give thanks. I would have you make sure that you have those elements. Uh, if you do not have a set of these elements, the bread and the cup, just put your hand up and the men right now will come and uh, make sure that they get those for you. Just leave your hand up and uh, 
they will do that. But what I'm going to ask you to do right now, AJ and the team are going to lead us in a few moments of reflection. They're going to play and just allow you to interact between you and the Lord. What the scriptures tell us to do is that we're supposed to reflect, Lord, is there anything in my life that is between me and you? Are there any things, any patterns, any stuff that I have taken on that is getting in the way? Are there any problems in relationships that I am the source of? We ask the Lord for forgiveness. We experience that forgiveness, by the way, right away. And he will, in those moments, give you marching orders for what you need to do next. But we're asked to reflect so that we participate in these elements in a, with a worthy heart. So I'm going to ask you, with those elements in your hand, listen as they play. And then as they sing, you just, as the Lord gives you desire, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Ask him to be able to bless your thinking. But also, give thanks that that finished work is available for you. Make your heart ready for these elements right now.